the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied today by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. My son, Michael. Hello, everyone. For those of you new to the show, the show is in two parts. The first part, which is briefer than the second part, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Uh, the second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion. We're going to be talking about history today. We're going to be talking about the Battle of Vicksburg with Sandy Mitchum. First, though, Beth, you have questions floating around. Well, there's there's a big one that's coming up, and everybody's wanting to know why October 1st is such an important day if you're trying to do your estate planning. Well, in New York, the law is going to change on October 1st as far as your eligibility for home care Medicaid. So let me give an example. If somebody, let's say, puts their assets in an irrevocable trust before October 1st, which is September 30th, on or before September 30th, they can apply for home care Medicaid the first day of the month after the transfer. After October 1st, we're going to incur a 30-month look-back period. So let, let's give an example. Somebody puts most of their assets in a trust on September 30th. The transaction is fully completed on September 30th. They have medical bills not covered by insurance. They need a home care attendant at home. They can apply for home care benefits, Medicaid in New York, on October 1st. Let's say they wait till October 1st second to do the same planning, well, then they have to wait 30 months in ordinary circumstances to apply for the same benefits. So in other words, if you get your work done before September 30th, on or before September 30th, you can apply immediately for home care Medicaid, which home care Medicaid pays for medical supplies, home attendance to keep you out of a nursing home if you have a relative in that situation. I strongly recommend you think about doing, you know, your planning before then. And even let's say somebody, for the sake of argument, you're not planning to apply for Medicaid right now, home care, but you put your assets in an irrevocable trust before September 30th and you get sick in January or February next year, then you can apply right away. If you do it after October 1st, then you're going to wait 30 months from that date that you applied. Now, they're always just remember, even if you're out there and something happens after October 1st, there's always something we can do. We can spend money. We can make limited gifts. We can do things like that. But if you're going to take full advantage of the laws the way they are right now, you want to you want to do your planning before October 1st. And listen, we cannot backdate documents. It has to be done honestly. If you're going to do it, you have to do it before October 1st. And please do not come in on September 30th and think it can be done. It usually takes two weeks to prepare the documents, yes, we're in an emergency situation. We can, you know, rush it up a little bit, but you got to give us at least a long week to try to get the documents prepared. So if you want to come in, you can always schedule an appointment at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We have offices in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Staten Island, Midtown Manhattan, Bayside, Queens, Middle Village, Queens. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free. So if you want, you got nothing to lose. Give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And remember, if you ever want to ask us an email question, it's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. 
We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Uh, every week we promise you that you're going to get a question answered firsthand from Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, the premier law firm in the New York Tri-State area when it comes to dealing with uh, things like estate, uh, estate law and elder care. Uh, and, Mike, this question comes from Marcy. She said, Dear Mr. Connors, if I'm on Medicaid, does Medicaid get paid back when I die? Have a great day, she adds, by the way. Mike Connors, what do you say? Well, if you don't plan it right, yes. And, and that's one of the problems we come up with. Every once in a while, somebody applies for Medicaid and they do it through a social worker and the social worker says, well, you don't have to worry about it. Medicaid won't take your house. You don't have to do anything with the deed of your house. And then when the person dies, Medicaid puts a lien on the house. So we got to take care of the house, however we do it, whether it's joint with a spouse, whether we have a child living in the house or whether we put the house in a trust. But yes, you do. If you're on Medicaid, you do have to plan things in such a way that Medicaid cannot put a lien on the house. It's it's dangerous. I've seen people literally lose all the equity in their house because they didn't do one little thing. That's uh, plan. They they failed to plan in advance, and then that uh, that ends up uh, catching them on the. On the backside, 718-238-6500 if you've got a question for yourself that you would like to get answered. Uh, or maybe you're concerned about getting your situation with Medicaid squared away. Call them today, set up an appointment, and make sure you've got your house cared for. 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can also submit your questions to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And then be listening every Thursday as he answers a question here. Uh, on Kevin McCullough Radio, but also listen on Saturdays at 8 a.m., 6 p.m. on AM 570, The Mission, and w, uh, and uh, 105, 102.3 FM, uh, and also Sunday mornings beginning at 11 on AM 970, The Answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Again, if you want to listen to Kevin McCullough, he's on 970, The Answer, Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock with an extended hour from 4 to 5 on Wednesdays as he shares the second hour with John Katzmatidis. You can also hear Kevin on 570 The Mission, Monday through Friday at 3 o'clock. And one of the things when your listeners come come into our office, one thing I like to know is what radio station do you, you listen to? And for those who don't know, you, we're on two stations. We're on 570 The Mission for the people as old as I am, WMCA, you know, home of the good guys, <laughs> and 970 the answer you know and again we're on saturday mornings eight o'clock on 570 the mission we're on 970 the answer six o'clock on saturdays and 970 the answer 11 o'clock on sundays so if you have any questions again michael what's the email address if you want to reach us you can contact us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com that's askmikeconnors at gmail.com Connors being spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. All right, now we're going to be talking a little bit about history. We're going to be talking to Sandy Mitchum from Louisiana, and he's going to be talking about the Battle of Vicksburg. He has some different insights on the battle, like, you know, the, the quality of the generalship of General Pemberton. So, you know, we love Civil War history, so we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be talking to Sandy Mitchum. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. 
Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Our next guest, Sandy Mitchum, he's been on the show before. We talked about the draft riots, the draft riots that happened in 1863 in New York, New York City. And we talked about his Civil War book, It Wasn't About Slavery. And now we're going to talk about one of the pivotal battles of the Civil War, Vicksburg. Welcome to Connors Corner, Sandy. Thank you very much, Mike. Always a pleasure. Okay, Vicksburg, can you explain its importance? Why did you write the book? Well, um, I had ancestors there, and um, it's only 70 miles from home, and uh, you know, it was the first Civil War battlefield I visited as a child, back in the days when they still had the stone observation towers. Uh, the Yankees built uh, two of them. They've since fallen down. They were decrepit then, but they let me go to the top. You could see the whole battlefield from there. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, it's just been part of my uh, heritage uh, ever since I was uh, in grammar school. So uh, I decided to write a book about it. Um, I also had an opinion that uh, many historians don't have, and it's kind of shifting. Um, I felt the Confederate general, Pemberton, kind of got a bad rap. He uh, uh, he wasn't. He's usually portrayed as some sort of blundering fool, uh, which I don't believe he was. Uh, he, uh, I mean, nobody's going to mistake him for Napoleon, but he shouldn't be mistaken for Elmer Fudd either. <laughs> Who was General Pemberton? You know, we're starting from from scratch here for some people. Okay, Pemberton was the commander of the Confederate Army of Mississippi. Uh, he was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and matter of fact, one of his uh, best friends and was uh, uh, George uh, Meade. Uh, I mean, yeah, George Meade, who commanded the Union Army at Gettysburg, and George McClellan, who defeated General Lee in the Battle of Antietam, was also a childhood friend. So he grew up in a solid Pennsylvania background, but uh, he spent much of his uh, pre-war career, 24 years, in the South, and he married a, uh, a beautiful Virginia girl, and he was a states rights man anyway. Uh, so when the war came, he went with his uh, wife and his family, and I saw a picture of her when she, as a matter of fact, I put it in the book, she was older, but she, she was beautiful then, and uh, she kind of put him on the straight and narrow, and uh, he went with uh, he went with his wife instead of his uh, uh, father's family. Do you know and, if, how much did, how much mixed emotions did he have about that? Uh, he had some. He knew it was going to cause a lot of pain because a couple of his brothers served in the Union Army, and one of them, uh, who was afraid of horses, rode all the way from Philadelphia to Washington, where he stationed the outbreak of the war to try to talk him into uh, uh, joining the Union. And uh, he was a major uh, 
General Scott, the commander of the U.S. Army, called him in and offered him an immediate promotion to colonel if he'd stay in the U.S. Army. Which, you know, for a professional soldier, that would have been tempting. But uh, he said no. Uh, he, uh, uh, of course, he had no interest in slavery, particularly. He never had a slave. And never made a statement defending it or opposing it. It was just something that existed to him. But he did believe uh, in the Jeffersonian principle of governs best, which governs least. And uh, the Republicans uh, of that day, Lincoln Republicans, uh, believed in more of the supremacy of the federal government. So... uh, those were the main issues, but I think the deciding factor was his wife. Um, she was uh, strongly pro-South. And, uh, she was already in Virginia, and he was still in Washington trying to make up his mind. She sent him a letter, and basically, in exact words, why haven't you joined us yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he did. He, Okay, so obviously he's there. How did he become the commander of the forces at Vicksburg, the Confederate forces at Vicksburg? Well, he uh, started off as General Lee's deputy. Lee uh, first commanded the Department of South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and did a good job. Uh, then Lee went to Virginia to be Davis's uh, uh, senior military advisor, and uh, uh, Pemberton moved on up, but he couldn't get along with the South Carolinians. Uh, they were pretty snobbish in those days. Um, they had a joke in the in the South. Uh, there are uh, two types of people from South Carolina, those who never wore shoes and those who will make you feel like you never wore shoes. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there was another one that said uh, Charleston was where the Ashley and Cooper Rivers joined to form the Atlantic Ocean. And um, Pemberton wanted to give up the Outer Islands, and uh, uh, they didn't want him to do that. Militarily, it was the only thing to do, really. They didn't like it. And, uh, you know, Lee, a Virginia aristocrat, he knew knew them. He knew how to talk their language. He knew how to get along with them. Pemberton didn't. And uh, Pemberton also wouldn't let them trade cotton with the Yankees. Now, cotton increased in price from six, six, six cents a pound before the war to $1.09 during the war, with spikes even higher than that. And um, they lost a lot of money because Pemberton wouldn't let them trade with the enemy, and they resented that. And finally, the governor of South Carolina said, Pemberton's got to go. Davis didn't want to lose it. Um, Pemberton was doing a good job. Matter of fact, uh, you may have seen that movie, Glory. Uh, where the 54th Massachusetts was featured and Colonel Shaw was killed and so forth. Uh, That was the Battle of Fort Wagner. Uh, uh, John Pemberton was a man that uh, designed Fort Wagner. He built that fort. And um, it shows, I think, some pretty good military engineering skills. Uh, But anyway, Davis uh, had to remove him from command of South Carolina, and they needed a place to put him. And over in Mississippi, you had Earl Van Dorn, who was a whoremonger, frankly. Uh, he wasn't doing very well. He uh, imposed martial law. He hanged six civilians. Uh, he was drunk uh, constantly. Uh, he neglected important duties. He never understood logistics. And um, was fooling around with women. And, of course, that's what eventually got him killed. And... Um, He was shot by Joss Hudson. So uh, uh, President Davis uh, thought this was a good spot for Pemberton. So he moved him to Mississippi and made him commander of the Army there. And uh, Grant tried to take Vicksburg six times by military means, and he failed five of them. And that's one of the points in my book. Um, If... You know, Grant has gone down as a genius, and his last campaign was. I mean, give me credit. But um, before that, he was stopped five times by John Pemberton. And the question I asked the reader, if uh, 
you outnumber me two to one and more, and you have a Navy and I don't, and I still beat you five out of six times, and I am a blithering idiot, what does that make you? Um, Pemberton got a bad rap from history. Uh, largely because Joseph E. Johnston, he had the relief army. Day, uh, President Davis ordered uh, Pemberton to hold Vicksburg in that last campaign, and uh, Pemberton obeyed the order. He tried to hold Vicksburg, and the, the arrangement was Johnston was supposed to organize a relief army, break through, and rescue Vicksburg. Well, uh, Johnston didn't. He made a one half-hearted probe, and that was it. He made no major efforts. Now, I don't know if he could have done it or not. Uh, that's an open question. Uh, I don't know, neither does anybody else, but that's the point. We should know. He should have moved heaven and earth. That was one of the turning points of the war. In fact, um, I think it was more important than Gettysburg. Uh, the Confederacy lost an entire army at Vicksburg. Uh, they didn't at Gettysburg. They almost won the battle. And then they retreated, and the Army of Northern Virginia was still intact. It would continue to fight for almost two more years. And um, uh, the loss of Vicksburg eliminated um, uh, the route to, to Mexico, the way to get around the Union blockades through Mexico, Texas, Louisiana. Uh, they lost Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, which then was the Indian Territory. And it was a crippling defeat. Uh, it enabled uh, uh, Sherman the next year to take Atlanta. If they had had 30,000 men that uh, the South lost at Pittsburgh defending Atlanta in addition to the army that was there, I, I don't believe they would have gotten it. Uh, they certainly wouldn't have gotten it in time. Uh, there was... Um, Atlanta was the crucial point. Uh, if the South had held Atlanta uh, for nine more weeks, I believe it would have uh, achieved its independence because uh, there was an election in November of uh, 1864, and Lincoln uh, thought he was going to lose it, and everybody did, um, because the North was losing, losing too many people, and uh, they couldn't take Richmond or Atlanta, and those were the two big centers. But after Atlanta fell, northern public opinion reversed itself completely. And uh, Lincoln was reelected, and I think that was the South's last chance. Uh, if they had held Atlanta long enough uh, for the election to take place and Lincoln had lost, the Democrats had a peace platform in their, uh, in their party platform at a peace plank. Uh, they would have... Uh, they were willing to make peace with the Confederates, and a lot of Yankees were, more than people today realize, uh, because the casualties were so high. Uh, virtually every northern family had a relative or a friend uh, killed at some place they'd never heard of before, wounded or a prison camp, uh, like Andersonville. Um, yeah, they would... If they hadn't taken Atlanta, they would have made peace. So I think Vicksburg was the key. As a matter of fact, that's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, Vicksburg is the key. We will never win the war until that key is in our pocket. And they took it. <laughs> but it was a hard-fought thing. It took them over a year. Let me ask you something. You, you touched upon something that I don't think a lot of people talk about. What happened to the Confederate forces that surrendered at Vicksburg? What happened to them? Well, uh, that was one of Pemberton's greatest moments in my view. Grant demanded unconditional surrender. And Pemberton wasn't ready to surrender anyway. His generals were crushing. And uh, when Grant said unconditional surrender, Pemberton said, then you will bury a lot more of your men before you ever enter Vicksburg. And he was ready to break off negotiations. And uh, uh, Pemberton's lieutenant, General Bowen, had uh, suggested a uh, committee be set up of uh, Confederate Union officers to work out peace terms. 
And uh, Grant said, well, maybe we should set up this committee and let them sleep, they think. <laughs> he backed off. Uh, historians don't say that, but he, he backed down. He had to. Uh, or else he, the siege would have continued uh, much longer. And uh, they had a great deal. They made a great deal. They, uh, any Confederate who would uh, uh, accept a parole um, should go home. And since many of these boys were from Louisiana and Texas, Grant uh, uh, offered to give them free transportation wherever they wanted to go within Union lines. Because uh, he, he knew the boys from Louisiana and Texas would never show up again east of the Mississippi. And uh, they didn't. They, uh, they agreed. And, uh, he uh, significantly reduced the Confederate forces. The rest of them were paroled, and most of them were later exchanged uh, for captured Union prisoners. Uh, the North had lost. In the first two years of the war, they'd suffered much more uh, losses to prisoners than the Confederates. Uh, changed in the last two years, but uh, most of them that wanted to ended up back in the Confederate Army. A uh, great many of them didn't because uh, they felt like uh, they had done enough. And that's one of the points that my books make. I, I go into the details of the siege of Vicksburg, what these people were eating. Um, they actually had a rat shortage. They were eating so many rats. Uh, on the public meat market in uh, Vicksburg, a single rat uh, ran $3.50 the end of the siege. Now, the average Confederate soldier was paid $13. So if you can imagine that you're hungry enough to pay two weeks of your salary to eat one rat, that's how hungry they were in Vicksburg. And like I say, they had a rodent shortage. All the cats and dogs were eaten. I found out that uh, cats taste better than dogs and uh, mules taste better than horses. And... Uh, they were literally eating everything except humans. Uh, and oh, the, the civilians took it well. I was especially impressed, frankly, with the Vicksburg women. Um, the men were ready to surrender. The women weren't. Uh, General Bowen was instrumental in the uh, surrender, and he had a lady who stood his uniforms, and um, she said, right out loud, well, if I'd known he was going to do that, he could have sewn his own uniform. Hmm. Um, they, uh, they lived in caves and uh, ate whatever they could. They had uh, interesting little things they called uh, rat holes, which were little trenches and in case the Yankees opened up with their cannons. Um, while they were away from their caves, they could jump, it, uh, jump in these uh, little trenches, rat holes. So when the Union Army opened up, they, they would yell, every rat to his hole, and they jump in the hole. Usually survived. The Union uh, mortars were terrible. They, uh, there were 13-inch mortars that threw uh, 250 pounds of high explosives up to two miles. If they had a cave, it would uh, it would collapse. Federal uh, Union cannons usually wouldn't collapse a cave because mortars would. And uh, they uh, oh, they measured a hole. The chief engineer of the uh, Confederate Army did to see the impact of this mortar. Uh, one hole in an open field was 13 feet deep. Um, that's a uh, that's a huge explosion, even by today's standards. Um, so <laughs> that was terrible. And added to that fact is, you, if you were in Vicksburg, you couldn't bathe. They had um, enough water to drink, but they didn't have enough water to, to take a bath. So uh, if you can imagine going 43 days, Without a bath, you've got the picture. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. And uh, it's remarkably, remarkable how well the Confederate morale uh, continued uh, throughout the siege. Uh, I think they were ready to surrender, but uh, they weren't ready to collapse, which is probably why Grant gave them such favorable terms. Uh, Anyway, that's who focuses in the book. Go ahead. What was the day that Vicksburg surrendered? I think that has some significance. July 4th. it had a great deal of significance for General Pemberton because that was prima facie evidence to certain Confederate editors that he was a traitor. But uh, Pemberton told his generals that he was going to make peace on that day, and some of them objected, and he said, no, I know my people, I know the Northern people, and they, I will get better terms on July 4th than any other day in the year. And he was probably right. They gave him, I would say, uh, Really good terms. And uh, uh, the Yankee soldiers were, uh, <laughs> they were really nice to the Confederate soldiers. Uh, they gave them food out of their own haversacks. Uh, Grant supplied them with five days rations, Union rations, not Confederate rations. The Confederates got uh, one meal every two days if they ate everything at once. They'd get one good meal and uh, not eat the next day. Um, they were very sympathetic. Uh, uh, one of them even, one Union unit even applauded the Confederates as they marched out of Vicksburg. But um, the, the Yankees didn't do, uh, treat the ladies so well. They, uh, they rather resented them because uh, uh, the, the women of the Mississippi Delta were uh, hardcore. They would cross the street rather than walk under a, uh, an American flag. And in fact, Vicksburg didn't celebrate the 4th of July again until 1911, and they didn't do it on a regular basis until 1944. Everything was open, even the banks. Uh, it was just another day that refused to honor the 4th because they surrendered on the 4th, and they, um, they resented that. And, uh, of course, uh, Pemberton got to hear about it. But uh, later, Pemberton, uh, they wouldn't give him another command of his rank, lieutenant general, so he accepted the promotion to lieutenant colonel. And when he did that, a lot of uh, Southerners said, well, maybe he's not a traitor after all. Uh, they started treating him better. Now, what, uh, what you're, you're saying... They accused him of being a traitor for surrendering Vicksburg. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. Um, Pemberton, you got to understand, was an old line army officer, and he had uh, uh, two sets of manners: one for the drill field, and one for the parlor. And uh, there was a gap between uh, U.S. Army officers and U.S. Army privates that did not exist in the Confederate Army. Confederate Army often called their officers uh, by their first names. Uh, Pemberton would never stand for something like that. And he was very standoffish to his men. And I think that was one of the, uh, the problems he had as a commander. Uh, men didn't like that. Uh, in the Union Army, it was fairly typical, but not, not with the Southerners. And uh, there was a rumor he was defeated at Big Black River and retreated to Vicksburg. And there was a rumor that he was going to surrender the garrison as part of a deal. 
Uh, that was uh, the day before the siege began, May uh, 18th. And he wrote a passionate uh, letter, which he had distributed throughout the army. You know, when he heard the rumor that he thought he was going to surrender, he said, see what I sell Vicksburg for. And he went into great detail when every dog is eaten, when every cat is eaten, when every rat is eaten, when every man is killed in this position, when every round has been extended. He went into great uh, great oratory. And then and only then will I sell Vicksburg. And uh, it rallied his army. And I think if he's shown that kind of passion throughout his command, uh, he might have been more successful. Uh, and the soldiers liked him better than the civilians did after the surrender because, uh, you know, they fought with him and he had inspected lines and uh, they were kind of won over to him personally. In a way, they weren't won over before the siege, if that makes sense. Um, Where did, anyway, he, go ahead. Where did Pemberton serve after Vicksburg? Um, they sent him up to uh, Richmond, and he took command of a Richmond uh, artillery uh, battalion and uh, ended up fighting in North Carolina. And in fact, Robert E. Lee uh, used him as an advisor uh, because Pemberton had dealt with Grant before, and Lee uh, hoped to get some insights uh, into Grant's modus operandi and thought process and so forth. And uh, Lee uh, treated him with great kindness. He always called him General Pemberton, even though he was just a colonel now. And um, I think uh, Lee benefited from Pemberton's advice because uh, um, Pemberton now told him that um, uh, if Grant had to win by attrition, uh, he would win by attrition. He, you know, Grant and his campaign from Washington to Richmond lost uh, more men. He suffered more casualties than Lee had in this whole army. And uh, yet he still kept attacking. Lee, uh, Lee understood by the time the siege of Petersburg began that if uh, Richmond and Petersburg were ever brought under siege, there was little hope for the Confederacy. And of course, uh, they were brought under siege and uh, June of 1864. It took them nine months, but they did take it. Uh, anyway, Pemberton ended up uh, as a farmer in Warrington, Virginia, which he was totally unsuited for. Um, but he had a good family life in his last years. He, uh, he had been stationed in Minnesota right before the Civil War and had to go to Washington. Uh, and his household goods were put in storage by the Army in Minnesota. And um, right after the war, there was a lot of passion and hatred, but that died down. But he wrote the Army and wanted his stuff back, and they sent it back. Uh, so he got his books back. He was fluent in Latin, had a lot of Latin books. And um, out of tune piano, and he and his family would play the piano every night. And, uh, uh, he got some other books from friends, and they'd read stories to the children. They had a great family life, but uh, he spent his life in the Army, and after he became a civilian after the surrender, uh, there was really no place in the world for him. He, uh, he, he, on his deathbed, he told his family, except for leaving you, I don't mind dying at all. Let me ask you. Okay. Go ahead. So I'm sorry. Let me ask you: the civilians in Vicksburg after the surrender, how? What was their life like? Uh, it was bad. Um, you had to take an oath of allegiance to do business, and many of them wouldn't. Uh, if you uh, spoke against Abraham Lincoln, you were thrown in jail. They, they arrested preachers at the pulpit for failing to pray for Lincoln. I don't think prayer is too much good if they're under duress, but that was the <laughs> order. Um, five ladies uh, at the end of a sermon got up to, and left uh, before the preacher could pray for Lincoln. Um, they, some, uh, they exiled him for a year. 
uh, one Yankee officer, uh, a typical officer, but there's this uh, little uh, uh, child. He was about five years old, sitting on a fence post, watching the Yankee Army walk by, and this uh, Yankee officer came up and hit him, knocked him off the fence post. And then uh, the next thing you know, his mother is rushed out with a gun, and she tried to kill him. Fortunately for both of them, she missed. Uh, but they put her in prison, not him. Uh, they were harsh on the women. And uh, that's one reason Vicksburg, Vicksburg voted against seceding. It was the only big city in, in Mississippi to do it. And the vote was over 500 for remaining in the Union. Less than 200 of them voted to stay in the Union. I mean, it was a river town. It depended on commerce. Uh, it was international. Second biggest city in Mississippi. Um, it turned 180 degrees. It was the most southern city. Uh, even I remember uh, when I was young, the first time I was there in the 50s, uh, you wouldn't dare say anything nice about General Sherman. In fact, uh, there was only one paved road in the entire uh, Vicksburg Military Park that it was not paved. It was Sherman Circle. It was a gravel road. And they never mowed it. The weeds were 10 feet high. And there were no monuments there. They, they had their Sherman Circle, but they uh, still rather showed contempt for him. And um, that, that's changed to some degree. Um, but it's it's still very much a southern town. Um, Why the resentment for Sherman, let's say, rather than Grant? Uh, Sherman uh, was a bit of a pyromaniac. He burned too much. <laughs> he didn't burn Vicksburg, though, did he? He did not, because uh, Vicksburg surrendered. I think he would have otherwise. Um, but he did burn. He did burn the capital, major city of Jackson, not once but twice. Uh, he was, uh, and of course, what he did later to Georgia didn't exactly enhance his reputation in Mississippi either. So uh, Sherman was Sherman was an odd duck, frankly, but uh, he was he was never liked in Mississippi. You know, we should go back a second. What was Sherman's role in the Vicksburg campaign? Uh, Grant commanded the Army. Sherman commanded one of the corps. And um, they had Sherman. Um, this was not Vicksburg campaign was not his high, his high watermark. Uh, uh, Grant at one time uh, attempted to take Vicksburg in what they call the Mississippi Central Campaign by going down the, from Memphis and take uh, Jackson from the north and turn uh, west and take uh, Vicksburg. And what he planned to do was <clears throat> pin Pemberton down with his main army. He outnumbered him 60,000 to a little over 20,000. And then he was going to send Sherman with over... Um, with around 25,000 men to take uh, Vicksburg via main assault. <clears throat> and uh, the South didn't have enough men to um, stop him. But um, there was a position there called Chickasaw Bluffs. And it uh, the, uh, the bluff runs about 150 feet straight up. Uh, kind of like a cartoon cliff. Just, and Sherman had to get through that, um, which would have been fairly easy, uh, you know, if he wasn't opposed. But uh, he, he wasted a day. He, uh, he stopped and burned a little town in Louisiana, tore up a railroad in Louisiana, and wasted 24 hours. The Confederates uh, had been warned that he was coming. And by the time he got ready to attack, the Confederates had a few thousand men on Chickasaw Bluff, uh, which the Yankees could have easily defeated if they'd been on flatland. Uh, but not on a... a, a you know, a bluff where you, you don't have 150 ladders, 150-foot ladders. Uh, 
so they managed to stop him. Uh, the Yankees lost 1,900 men in that battle. The Confederates lost 200. And um, Sherman had to retreat and give up the idea of taking uh, Vicksburg. Uh, so uh, uh, that was a major blunder. And, uh, it, it took the Yankees six more months to get to Vicksburg because of that. One last so, question. Um, I'm sorry. Sure. One last question. Why Why are we talking about Vicksburg more than 150 years after it happened? Well, in my view, it was one of the two turning points of the Civil War, um, Gettysburg and Vicksburg. Uh, but um, it was so one of the two one of the two decisive battles of the Civil War. If you had to list two, uh, those are the two I would list. Uh, and to me, it was fascinating. I, I just enjoyed uh, doing the research on that book. I've written 40. Uh, it wasn't about slavery. It was a fun book to write. Vicksburg was a fun book. San- Sandy Mitchum, thank you for bringing history to life. Thank you. You know, I, you gave me some insights onto Pemberton I've never heard before. Well, Pemberton uh, uh, was a better man and a better general than he uh, uh, he wrote a rebuttal. Uh, one thing about Johnston, uh, if you got just with a minute, he uh, he was very slow and uh, didn't like to fight battles. As a matter of fact, there was a joke in the Atlanta campaign that General Johnston would defend Atlanta from Key West, Florida. But uh, he was very quick to get his memoirs. Very. Uh, Jealous man, very uh, guarded of his reputation. He got his memoirs at print quickly and blamed Davis and Pemberton. Well, Pemberton wrote a, a memoir and sent it in for inclusion to the official records, giving his side. Uh, he called it compelled to appear in print. But uh, it was never published, and it was lost. And then in 1999... It appeared in a flea market in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I have no idea how that happened. Neither does anybody else. <laughs> but as a result, it was only published about uh, what, 2002. And by then, the story had been told, reputations had been set. And uh, um, it's still in print. But um, And that's one reason I suspect that things are changing a little bit and uh, Pemberton is getting a fair shake Edwin Bears the, the famous historian uh, he uh, he changed his mind on him and let it be known because uh, as late as the 1950s Pemberton was still looked down on as a complete boob but um, I don't think that I don't think he deserved that I mean uh, you, you, there's a tendency among people if uh, a, a certain you know the winners uh, you know they're the oldest geniuses which Grant wasn't all of Vicksburg at last campaign was but um, the loser is looked upon as a traitor or an idiot or uh, some kind of fool and that's not always deserved um, and I don't think it was in Pemberton's case All right. Well said. Sandy Mitchum, thank you for bringing history to life. Name of the book, Vicksburg. All right. Thank you very much. Take care, Mike. Okay. Take care. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CC. Thanks again to Sandy Mitchum. That's a fella from my neck of the woods in Louisiana. Okay, now if you're if you you've liked what you heard about Sandy Mitchum and he's been on our show about three times over the last six months, he's going to be the first guest at the Civil War Roundtable, the opening guest for this fall campaign. Now we're doing things differently, and Michael, do you want to explain? 
Yeah, well, of course, in today's day and age, everyone needs to do everything virtually on events like this. So we're going to be able to host Mr. Mitchum online. And to get the Zoom link, what you're going to have to do is get an email from us giving you the Zoom link. And this year, what we've decided is that the first Civil War Roundtable meeting of the year will actually be free. But from then on, of course, you have to look into membership and everything. So just figure out if you want to do this and feel free to join us on September 9th. That's going to be a Wednesday, second Wednesday of the month, September 9th. And, well, we'd love to have you. The topic for this opening month is going to be the draft riots that took place in New York City during the American Civil War. And if you've been following the news, I mean, all of us have, unfortunately. We haven't gotten a chance to look away. We've seen all kinds of civil disturbance and everything, but none of it quite compares to what happened during the American Civil War. So we would love to have you join us for that talk on September 9th at 7 o'clock p.m. If you have any further questions about the time, how to get in with the Zoom, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Say, you know, I want to learn more about the Civil War Roundtable and the Zoom meeting on September 9th. This is a great way for y'all to get to know our Civil War Roundtable. We talk about them all the time. Maybe you couldn't do, go to the dinners. Now's the chance to get them online. Okay, and this first meeting is going to be free and open to anybody. So give us a call if you're interested at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And if you have any estate planning questions, you know, tune in. Come to our office. We're open for business. We're fully open for business right now. And you can give us a call at the same phone number. We can talk about estate planning and how you want to try to save your assets for your loved ones. If that's your goal in life, come in, talk it over, Connors and Sullivan. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. Be safe out there. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Heads bowed down, we're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing.